be back with you folks here at Stonebridge. Uh, Kath and I always look uh, forward to the opportunity to, to visit with you guys. Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Mark Nicewander. I'm uh, one of the teaching pastors at uh, Riverstone and also, uh, as David mentioned, executive director of the uh, Transformation Network. Uh, the network is made up of a board whose uh, purpose is to plant churches in this area in which we live, the Cobb County and surrounding counties. Uh, it's kind of a limited area because we want to see uh, a saturation of churches with like vision, maybe different expressions, uh, to see the transformation of this area. And so uh, that's the board's agenda. And then we also have a, a association or alliance of pastors made up of all the senior pastors of the five churches that are in the network, hopefully many, many more churches as we uh, plant more churches. And that group is to meet together, to pray together, to be accountable to one another, to have vision for maybe ways that we can do ministry in this area together to kind of leverage all the churches together for uh, purposes of seeing the uh, community transformed. And one of the things I'm really excited about, uh, since this is the, the Sunday after uh, youth camp, uh, that the camp uh, uh, has been a part of Riverstone, but uh, this next year it shifts to become Transformation Network Camp. And um, one of the things I've, I've really been asking the Lord for is that we would see some uh, events where all of our churches are involved because uh, I, I feel like when we come together and meet God together, it, uh, it infuses those values that we have as a church, as churches. We have the same values and we need that place where God is putting that in us. And I can think of no better place than the camp. Uh, I know uh, Tom Tanner, pastor at Riverstone, uh, always says we are a 13-year-old church that has a 30-year-old youth camp. And uh, actually, uh, uh, the church, Riverstone, and many of the church and pastors uh, were birthed out of that camp. And it is a significant time in which God comes and ministers and people are saved, filled with the Spirit, transformed, grow in grace. And so I'm excited about that being a part of the, the transformation uh, churches. And so these... Uh, student pastors and volunteers from the different churches will be putting this on, and I think in the future will have significant impact upon all of our churches, so be praying for that. But it's a joy to be with you, and uh, uh, I, I wanted to kind of focus in on uh, maybe something I didn't realize until uh, David made the announcement uh, this morning, uh, your commitment to meet together on Monday morning to pray uh, for... Um, what is, something's got to change, that, that something's got to change, and uh, I want to I talk to you a little bit about how I think that change can happen uh, in terms of what God wants to do in our life as individuals as well as a church, and um, I want to read from 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12, uh, I don't know what we have on the screen, but I, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but uh, just read along, uh, to this end... We also pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, 
what Paul is saying here, uh, he says, first of all, in, in the ESV version, it says, to this end, and, and basically before this passage, Paul was talking about the, the uh, coming of the Lord Jesus, and obviously the great hope of the church that Jesus would return and, and, uh, and uh, establish his kingdom on earth. Uh, during this reign of his on earth. And so Paul is saying, to this end, to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what I'm praying for you. In other words, this is what I want to see happening in your life so that you as the church are moving things in history toward the return of Jesus. And he says, I'm praying this for you. And basically what he says, I'm praying for you, is God's divine power. That's what Paul is saying to the church. Uh, to the Thessalonians, the church that is there uh, uh, among these people. But also, I, I think it's his prayer for all of us, uh, that, that Paul is praying for the churches to know this divine power. It seems that, that in the New Testament, but also I think throughout church history, that wherever the church is moving according to the will of God, that there's an understanding in the church that the highest importance for us, the highest importance for us as churches here in this network is God's power in our midst. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great congregationalist pastor in England, and he said this, there is no more important subject of the Christian church at this present hour than this very question of the need of revival. Now, another way of defining revival is God's power among us, in his church, and among his people. And then uh, Lloyd-Jones says this, I say there is nothing more important than this. It is second to none. Now, why is that? In the natural world, we have a law called the second law of thermodynamics, which basically means this. And uh, you Georgia Tech people, forgive me for my fuzzy definition. So... Uh, that if a system is left to itself, it begins to disintegrate in energy and in order. I think that's not only true of the natural world. I think because we as believers live in this present evil age, and we're so often bombarded by the stuff of this world, that if a believer is left to himself or herself long enough, or if a church is left to itself long enough, it begins to disintegrate in spiritual power and spiritual focus. And it's this disintegration that becomes the problem, even if we're doing good things. And it's not that we intend to pull away from the Lord. It's just, it's just the dynamics of this age in which we're living that uh, if, if something, if there's not an, an impartation periodically, of God's grace and power in our life, we begin to disintegrate in our spiritual energy. We, we begin to disintegrate in our, our focus in terms of what God has called us to. And this becomes a problem in the life of the church. I, uh, and, and maybe many of you can identify with this. I know I can. That I've, had, I've, I've known in my own life times in which God has blessed me and met me and, and again, not by any intentional direction to pull away from the Lord, but just over time there seems to be a dissipation of that power, of that focus that I once had uh, previously. Uh, I was reading the testimony of a pastor who said this. He said uh, he was noticing this dynamic in his own life. And he says, uh, I feel like 
I am clinging to the decaying threads of a past experience. And I'm giving all of my life and all of my effort to try to build a reputation on an old spiritual experience. And too often, that's where people settle in. And if we settle in there long enough, we kind of stall out in terms of momentum. I think that's what Paul's saying. To this end, I'm praying. I'm praying for this momentum in your life. I'm praying for this power of God to come into your life. And historically in the church and biblically, the way that expresses itself so many times is in revival power. Revival is God's power coming to his people and coming to his church. Now, why do we not see that? I think one of the reasons we don't see it is we have a lot of misunderstanding about God's power. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of ask you several questions to kind of see what you're carrying in your own heart concerning God's power and the expectation for that power for you as an individual believer in Jesus Christ, but also for you as a church here at Stonebridge, particularly as you're praying weekly for God to do things, that something could change. Well, then I, I believe this is the key in Scripture as to how those things can change. The first thing I would ask is this. What is your definition of God's power? Now, one of the things I see uh, too often in the church is that we have kind of this uh, general, fuzzy, unspecific view of God's power. Uh, and, and I think a lot of times the reason we have that definition is because we have kind of a general, unspecific, fuzzy experience of God's power. And so we tend to define God's power by what we know, not, what, not by what the Scripture is calling us to, the kind of power that the New Testament church was going after. And so what is this power? Uh, in, in the first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul writes them and says, when I came to you, he's talking to this church, he says, when I came to you and you were pagans, and we preach the gospel to you, we did not come in words only, but we came in the power, in power and in the Holy Spirit. So he links power with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think what Paul is saying there, and I, and I believe this is the same kind of power he's talking about in 2 Thessalonians when he's praying for the church that they would continue to know this power. I think he's reflecting back to Jesus. And Jesus said this in uh, Luke 24, 49. He says, I am going to send the promise of my Father to you. He said that to the disciples. He says, very shortly, I'm going to send the promise of my Father to you. And then if you look in Acts 1, 8, he defines what the promise of his Father is. And the promise of his Father is this in Acts 1, 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So Jesus defines the promise of the Father as the power that comes to us when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon these disciples and uh, caused such a stir there in Jerusalem, Peter got up and he began to define what was going on because people wonder what's all this about. And so he begins to share with people what's going on. And he quotes a passage out of the prophet Joel which I think he's quoting the promise of the Father that Jesus is referring to. And this is the promise that God gave in the Old Testament concerning the, in, the latter days of history. He says, in the last days, 
I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So Peter says, this is what's happening. We are now in the last days. The last days, the church has always understood, the last days are those days between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. So we're in the last days. And Peter is saying that, the, that, that what God has promised us is in these last days, those who call upon the name of the Lord, God will pour out his spirit upon them. So, what you need to understand is when the New Testament talks about power, when, when Paul says the word power here, it's not just some kind of general term. He's talking about Holy Spirit coming on you power. A very defined, specific, intentional experience of God's power coming into our life and coming into the church. And the early church wanted to know in every believer's life, have you entered into this power. Uh, you read the book of Acts. They go to the, uh, Paul goes to the Ephesians. He wants to know, have you experienced this? To the Samaritans, after they have become believers in Jesus, have you experienced this power? And then also you find, not only are they asking believers, but they're, they're looking at churches and they say, are you experiencing this power? Are you experiencing this Holy Spirit coming on you power as a church? Even Paul here in this letter is saying to the church, uh, made up of the Thessalonians. He's saying to them, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying for you that you would know this power, continue to know this power in your life. The very power that you experienced when we first came to you with the gospel. So the, the early church understood that this power, this Holy Spirit coming on you power was, was important to us as individual believers and important to the church itself. And yet many times we forget that. We forget our calling. We forget the promise of the Father for us as believers. The promise of the Father for the church. And because of that, we're not experiencing the full dynamics. We're kind of stalling out in our Christian life uh, in terms of what God has for us. Uh, sometimes we define power so generally, it's just kind of a little push from the Lord in our spiritual life, or it's uh, maybe just asking God to bless our many activities that we're doing in the church. <laughs> and God will do that. But the, but the early church understood that there is available to us a dynamic infusion of power that can radically alter the way things are happening in our life, transform things. And they call out and they believe for this for themselves as individuals, and they believe for it as the church. Listen to this quote. Uh, this comes from uh, Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts was uh, actually a, a leader in a great revival in Wales. And, and he said this. He was trying to define what revival was about. And he says this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the essence of revival. For revival comes from the knowledge of the Holy Spirit and the way of co-working with him which enables him to work in revival power. So he's saying this, look, if you want to know what a revival is, it is this Holy Spirit coming on you power because revival is all about co-working with the Spirit of God in order to bring about the purposes of Jesus in our life and in the earth. So that's the number one thing. How do you define spiritual power? And as you're praying tomorrow morning, those of you who gather here, pray specifically for this Holy Spirit coming on you power for 
for Stonebridge, for Riverstone, for all the churches in the network, that, that God would do this in us and for us as individuals as well as as churches, as well as for this community. Secondly, what's your expectation of God's power? Now, what I find, there are a lot of people who say, yeah, I believe that there is such a thing as Holy Spirit coming on you power, uh, made available for us as individuals and as the church. But you know, it's kind of a one-time experience. Or it's a very rare and infrequent kind of thing. We, sh- we, shouldn't, we shouldn't get too, too much expectation for this or we'll get disappointed because it's rare that this happens or or maybe if it's happened in our life, maybe there's been a time in your life where you were filled with the Spirit and it was a very sweet and powerful thing. You say, well, I, I got it. <laughs> I've had my experience. Now I just need to kind of move on and do the best I can. That's in the past. I thank the Lord for that. Or, or maybe you look at revivals in the church and you say, yeah, there's revivals in the church, but they're very, they're very rare. And who are we to expect that we could have a revival like the Welsh revival or the Wesleyan revival or, or the Great Awakening in the United States, the first Great Awakening or the second Great Awakening. God, give us a third Great Awakening. We need it. We need it in this hour and this time. But a lot of times we, we look at these things and say, well, that's, that's for them or that was for that time. They're very infrequent. They're rare. We shouldn't be expecting this. There, there's a theology in the church uh, that basically is called cessationist theology. And, and the theology says this, whatever happened at Pentecost was only for that day. It, it's, it's a view that, that the church needed some kind of booster rocket to get going, and Pentecost, the, out, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, was that booster rocket. But now that the church is orbiting, everything's fine, and we don't need that anymore. Well, obviously... I would imagine most of you here don't believe that. I don't believe it. I believe that what we see at Pentecost is available for us today in terms of the power of the Spirit, the grace of the Spirit, the working of the Spirit in our life. And yet what I find is it's folks who may not believe in cessationist theology in terms of the church believe in it for themselves. Say, well, I've had experiences of God's power in my life way back then, but that's a one-time thing. It's a one-time deal. I'm not going to keep going for it or... Or we look at the church in revival and say, well, yeah, those things happen. It's kind of rare and infrequent. I'm not looking for it now. But if you look at the New Testament church, there was expectation for this. Paul, in in his letter to the Ephesians, at the end of that letter, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, he was saying that to people who had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, what he's saying is keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep on expecting this Holy Spirit power in your life. In other words, live with an expectation that this is frequent. That you can have, you can have more of what God desires for you. Or even look at Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. In his first letter, he said, when we came to you, we came to you in power and the Holy Spirit. Now in his second letter, he's saying, I'm praying for you and I'm praying that you will have God's power. This letter was written about six, 16 months, excuse me, about six months after he planted the church. So when he planted the church, they experienced power. Now, six months later, he's saying, I'm praying for you now that you'll experience more power. Because he recognized that this power 
is not some kind of rare, infrequent reality. It is something that's available to us as believers if we will expect it and go for it. That God's Holy Spirit coming on you power that energizes us as believers, that transforms us, is a, is a gift from the Lord. And that we as believers need to expect and believe for it. And yet I, I find a lot of folks just kind of say, well, you know, it's rare, it's infrequent, I, I'm not believing for it. I'm not expecting, I, I'm, not, I'm not looking for it in my life. Um, the early church saw it, they believed for it, they expected it. You remember I, I told you about this pastor who said his life was like clinging to the decaying threads of a past experience. He... He came to a place in his life where he said, you know, I'm not settling for this. I'm going to start expecting a fresh move of God in my life. And I'm not going to give up until I enter into it. His name was Duncan Campbell. And God came to his life and transformed his heart. And he became the catalyst for a great revival in, uh, in Great Britain particularly on the Isle of Lewis, where he saw countless people come to the Lord. His personal revival in his heart brought a revival to a land because he said, I am going to expect more. I'm going to believe God for what he wants to do in my heart and life. Listen to this quote. This is, this is about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a great Baptist preacher in England. And uh, he, was he was preaching on this whole issue of expecting revival. He says this, Others among you say, quote, We are not to expect revival every day, end of quote. And then Spurgeon says, That is the very reason why we do not get them. If we had learned to expect them, we would no doubt obtain them but we put them on the shelf as being curiosities of scriptural history, let us with earnestness seek that God would restore to us the faith of men of old that we may richly enjoy his grace as in the days of old. See, Spurgeon says, look, this power of God is not some kind of historic curiosity that we put on the shelf and admire. This is ours, if we would believe him for it, if we would expect it in our own life, if we would expect it in our own church, saying, God, we, we are not satisfied until we see this outpouring of your life and power in us as we see it in other people, as we read about it in other churches, that this is not some kind of rare or infrequent thing. This is the inheritance of the church of Jesus Christ as we, as we go for this and believe for it. I think it's interesting that Peter on the day of Pentecost, the point he was making on the day of Pentecost was this, that Pentecost is not a one-day experience. Pentecost is a dispensation of power during this time between the first and second coming of Jesus. It's our right as believers. It's our inheritance as believers to ask God to come in his power. That's what we're doing every year at youth camp. We're asking God, God, come in your power. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons I believe, I'm going to kind of go off the rail here a little bit. One of the reasons I believe that Riverstone Church was planted 
was that there were a lot of frustrated people who were saying, this power that we experience one week, why can't we have it every week? Why can't we have it every Sunday? And that became the impetus for a group of people to say, look, can't we not have a church that's expecting this? Now, the danger is <laughs> that we forget that. We forget our roots. We forget that we are a people that were born in hunger for God's power displayed at a youth camp to be seen regularly in our life as a church. And the way that happens is you get a people that start expecting and believing as we expect and believe for the camp, as we expect and believe now for the church. So as you're coming together tomorrow morning, ask the Lord. Say, Lord, do this. Do this in us. Why, why does it just need to be at a youth camp once a year? Why can we not see this display of your grace and power in our life on a regular basis as your church here on the square in Marietta and here in this community? What's your involvement in God's power? A lot of people think, well, okay, we have no involvement in God's power. God's power is a, uh, the, the Holy Spirit coming on you power is a miracle. Uh, it's from God. And all, uh, we, we really don't have any participation in that. It's up to God when he wants to give it. It's up to God when he wants to pour out his spirit. Well, I, I'll agree. It is a miracle. It is a sovereign work of God in the sense that it is coming from God's heart. And it cannot happen unless God chooses for it to happen. But listen to this. Physical healing is a miracle. It, it, when somebody's healed physically by divine healing I'm talking about, it's not because we work up a miracle. It's because God does it in his power. But, but you need to understand God is always looking for a human agent through which to bring that power. That's why Jesus said pray for the sick. That's why Jesus said preach the gospel. Salvation is a miracle. We don't cause salvation to happen. But God is looking for human agents through which to bring that salvation to the hearts of people. Through their witness, through their, through their sharing. You see, there are many miracles out there that God is responsible for. But God works with us as we give ourselves to be an agent of that miracle. And so why should revival be any different? Why should we say revival is this this thing that only God can do and only God can bring, and we have no involvement in it. If I read the scriptures correctly, God is always looking for a people who's saying, we're going to go for this, we're believing for it, we're expecting it, we want to be the people upon which God comes in his power, and so we're going to make ourselves available. God is looking for something to work with. <laughs> and he calls us as his church, that's why we are the church of Jesus Christ, so that we could be the agent of his power into the earth. And yet many times we pull back and say, well, we, we can't bring a revival. We, we can't have any influence in this area. This is a work of God. It's a miracle. We don't, we don't have anything to do with it. Over and over again, the Lord is looking for us to bring something that he can work with. And matter of fact, in this passage, Paul speaks of two things that God, uh, that he's praying for that God would fill with his power that the Thessalonians are doing. Listen to this. He says that God may fulfill every resolve for good, that's one, and every work of faith, that's two, by his power. So he says these are two things you need to bring to the table. Resolve for good. You need to get in your heart a desire 
for the goodness of God in your life, the goodness of God in this church, the goodness of God in this community. You need to get in your heart a desire to live holy for God. Now, if we were honest, we might say, you know, I'm not sure I have that resolve. I have a resolve for things. I have a resolve for, for uh, uh, stuff. I have, a, I, have a, I have a lust for the flesh. I have, ing, I have ingratitude in my heart. I, I don't have a resolve for goodness. I mean, a deep resolve. I'm talking about resolve. I'm not just talking about, well, I wish this nation could get better. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about a deep feeling, a deep passion within my heart for goodness for the goodness of God in my life, in this earth. And, and most of us would have to confess, you know, it's, that's not the driving force of my life. But let me ask you this. Do you have any resolve for goodness? And if you do, no matter how slight it is, no matter how little it is, bring it to God. This is where you begin with this thing. You bring what you have to God, any resolve you have for goodness, bring it to God. And say, God, show me why I am so dull in my life towards you. Show me why I'm not believing for this. Show me what's in the way. Show me what's causing all the static in my life. And as he shows you, ask him to forgive you. Say, would you forgive me? Let the blood of Jesus cover me in this. And would you increase this in my life? By your spirit, increase this. Excite me for goodness. <laughs> Excite my heart for the things of God. And then begin to watch what he does. As you keep going to him, keep believing, keep trusting him to increase that resolve within your life. And Paul says he can fill that resolve full of his power. As you give it to the Lord, more Lord, say, I'll give you what I have. Forgive me for where I'm missing it. Now give me more, more resolve. And that's what I see in a lot of people who get revival in their hearts. They, they just, they will not give up. They say, Lord, I want you to increase this. I won't. In my life, I want living holy for God to be the passion of my life, the goodness of God in my life. And then the other thing he says is give him your acts of faith. What is, act, what is an act of faith? An act of faith is something you do, and you do it realizing that if God doesn't show up, you're in a lot of trouble. That's an act of faith. In other words, you're believing God to step in and do something. And, you know, whether it's praying for the sick, whether it's coming together tomorrow morning and praying that things would change. I mean, you're, what you're doing, you're saying, God, you're going to have to do something here. We're, we're believing you to step in. We're believing for your power to come into this situation. We're asking you to make a difference in here. Are you doing any works of faith in your life? Did you do any works of faith this week where you did something believing that God would break in? Now, Obviously, doing a work of faith doesn't mean necessarily that it will happen. I mean, we, we pray every Thursday night at Riverstone for the sick. And it doesn't mean everybody we pray for is healed. But I, I'll tell you this, because we're praying, more people are being healed than if we weren't praying. Because we're offering up these, these acts of faith once a month on a Thursday night, asking the Lord to break in and to show himself strong. And so as you offer these acts of faith, ask God to come and break in and fill those acts with his power. Fill those acts with his mercy and his strength to do what he wants to do in your life. And then I, I'd say this, uh, your, your involvement, 
your involvement in this power is to, to give your acts of faith and to give your resolve for goodness and then ask the Lord to fill it with his power. And the fourth thing is, why or what's your reason for wanting God's power? There's a lot, of, a lot of good reasons why we want to see God move. We want to see him move because people will be changed, people will be saved, come to know the Lord. People will be healed, people will be transformed, filled with the Spirit. We'll see this church dynamic in the power of the Lord, blessing people and transforming a community. If we're going to see community transformation. It's going to have to be God filling up our acts of faith throughout this community and power. But seeing all these things happen is, a, is an indication that God is working. But let me say, as wonderful as all those things are, that is not the reason. It's not the reason for revival. It's not the reason for Holy Spirit coming on you power. Paul gives us the reason for that. And this is what he says. He's praying for this power to come upon you. Verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. He said, look, all of this is for the glory of Jesus. All of this is to make, is to make Jesus famous. Famous in this church, famous in this community, famous in our lives. It's for him. It's for his glory. It, any great revival, the thrust of that revival was to glorify Jesus. It wasn't just to have a good time, a great spiritual party. <laughs> it was to see Jesus glorified, to see us more like Jesus, to see Jesus lifted up in a community, in a church. And so that is the thrust. That is the thrust of this Holy Spirit coming on us power. Remember that the work of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus. And so he is brought upon us so that Jesus would be exalted in our life, in our community, in our church. He is the great agent of the Trinity to exalt the Son. Jonathan Edwards, the revivalist of uh, early time in our country, again, a significant revival, the first great awakening in this country. He said this, he said, God so loves his Son... He so loves to exalt the name of his son that he will send these great outpourings of his spirit so that Jesus may be exalted in the land and Jesus may be exalted in our lives. What we need to do as the church is say, Lord, we will give you whatever it takes <laughs> to see this happen. We're expecting it. We're believing it. We're saying we are not satisfied until we see this divine power coming on us as individuals and coming on us as a church so that the name of Jesus would be exalted in our life and in this land. What, I, what I'd like to do this morning is just give you an opportunity to, to pray. Uh, I, I first of all, encourage you, if you haven't been coming to the meeting on, uh, on Monday mornings, it's 30 minutes, it'd be well worth it to come and to believe with other uh, brothers and sisters in this church and say, you know, we, we want to stand together in faith, expecting God to do something beyond what we can imagine or think for this time and this season in our church. And we're going to believe God until we see it. Uh, so I, I, I'd encourage in that. But maybe you're saying, and you know, in my own life, I've noticed a spiritual uh, dissipation and I, I just need, I need a revival in my heart. I need God to do something in me. 
And I want, I want prayer for that. So we're going to invite the ministry team to come up as well as the worship team. And if you have, if that's your need or if you have any need, whether maybe you need physical healing, relational healing, maybe uh, uh, believing God for financial resources or guidance in your life, whatever it may be, we certainly love to pray with you. That's uh, what this is about, an opportunity to pray with people and believe together for God to do something that's maybe beyond your capacity to, to make happen. So uh, whatever you need, I want to encourage you to come and pray. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. If these teams come on down and... Lord, um, we, we want to say to you, Father, how much, how much we love you. And we recognize, Lord, even as uh, Paul prays for these believers, that um, you're the same God who shows yourself in power in the same way. And so, Father, I pray for Stonebridge. I pray, Lord, for Holy Spirit coming on you power in the life of this body, in the life of individuals here. Lord, for those who need a fresh touch from you, not just because they need uh, a spiritual excitement in their life, but because they want the power, Lord, to choose for you and to choose for your purposes, to choose to glorify Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give them that release of power. I pray, Lord, that as the church comes together to pray every Monday morning, that you meet them in that time with faith to believe you beyond anything they've ever seen before as a, as a church. And now, Lord, we pray that in this time of ministry that you would release grace, release, Lord, uh, uh, an infusion of your life and power into the lives of those who come to receive prayer. We love you, Father. And we ask now, pour out your spirit, Exalt Jesus and transform this community. For we ask it in your holy name.